Well, uh, good morning, uh, family. Um, it's good to uh, be with you virtually this morning. I think this is week 12 or something like that of lockdown. So uh, I hope you're doing well and uh, enjoying the sun uh, this week. Uh, I want to begin our time this morning thinking about a man called Joseph Leek. And you may have recalled uh, him making the news uh, a few years back. Uh, Joseph, Joseph Leek um, made the news not because of the life he lived. He lived a very normal life. There was, any, there was nothing remarkable about his life. As a matter of fact, he, he lived a life of kind of uh, simplicity and kind of poverty, really. Um, he was uh, so frugal that he shopped at charity shops only, so he wore secondhand clothes. Uh, his daughter said upon his death that he used to go to his neighbor's house to watch television so that he didn't have to pay electric bills uh, to watch TV. So uh, just died a normal kind of eccentric, poor person. Um, the reason he made the news wasn't because of the life he lived, but upon his death, he left nearly two million pounds uh, to a charity that provides guide dogs for the blind. And what's weird about that is nobody knew. His friends didn't know. His family, his own daughters had no idea that he had that amount of wealth um, by the appearance of how he lived his life. Someone who pinched every little penny and uh, certainly didn't seem to have millions in a bank account uh, to leave to a charity. Um, and uh, no one really knew that he had any kind of money at all uh, in that time. And so I think the lesson to be learned is that appearances can often be deceiving. What, what looks to be one thing isn't always something, uh, is often something completely different. It's not exactly what it appears to be. And in our parables this morning um, that we read during the reading, this is the point that Jesus seems to be making about the kingdom of God in these parables. Um, the, the parables are often kind of pointed to as Jesus begins these parables often, not always, but often with the kingdom of God is like. Uh, he's wanting us to know something about the nature of the kingdom of God. Um, and uh, he wants his audience to know that um, as well. And so here we have these parables. And what at first seems uh, inadequate, what seems tiny, what seems insignificant in changing the world will prove mighty, unstoppable, expansive, and powerful in the end. Um, like a mustard seed, like some leaven, the kingdom of God appears small, appears insignificant, but in the end um, will prove mighty, unstoppable, and powerful. And that's important for us to remember because it's easy, especially um, those of us that live in the West, to be pessimistic about the kingdom of God, isn't it? Secularism is aggressively on the rise. Uh, it's easy to look around and kind of just see a moral uh, decay, a society that's kind of in moral kind of decay. Even within our own within our own churches, there's false teaching, heresy. Certainly in Europe, um, it's easy to look at empty cathedrals and churches and and wonder where our rich Christian heritage seems to have gone. It seems to be kind of relegated to the dustbin of history. And it's easy to be discouraged about that. But Jesus wants us to understand that the kingdom is like a seemingly poor man who dies and yet ends up being far richer than anyone ever imagined. Um, so let's take a look at our text this morning. Uh, we're gonna look at several different parts of it. So in verse 31, he put, uh, another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. The man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree 
so that the birds of the air come and make its nest in its branches. Um, and so here we have this unlikely advancement of the kingdom of God. I want us to think about the kingdom of God and how it advances. This is what Jesus is trying to communicate to them, this unlikely advancement of the kingdom of God. And he points to a mustard seed. Now, he says this is the tiniest of all seeds. Um, Jesus isn't speaking strictly scientifically here. So scientifically, we know there are technically smaller seeds than this. Uh, but Jesus is using a proverbial kind of uh, way of speaking. Um, it's the way that we in Northern Ireland say everything is we, a we this, a we that, a we that. This is, it's a proverbial kind of a colloquialism kind of saying. And so for them, a mustard seed was just this way to talk about something that was very small. And it was the smallest seed that they commonly used um, in their garden at the time. Um, and so you, you see Jesus using this expression in other places in Matthew 17, Luke 17, where he talks about our faith being as small as a mustard seed. So this mustard seed analogy is a is, is way to describe something that's tiny. It's, it's uh, small. It's often overlooked. Now, when Jesus says the kingdom of, of heaven, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, it comes like a mustard seed. That would have been clear to them to understand, but it would have been no less shocking. This would have been shocking to them. Um, as we've said in previous weeks, the Jews had expected, the, the Israel had expected a Messiah to come and to restore the kingdom of Israel, to, to overthrow Rome, to set up a king, to, uh, to have the temple in all of its glory again. Um, they're thinking their kind of heyday, King David, um, building a temple. This is what they're expecting, to come with power. And yet, this isn't how Jesus comes at all, is it? Jesus is born um, in obscurity, uh, works as a carpenter's son uh, for 30 years. Um, nothing spectacular, really, about, we don't know much about Jesus' life during that time. Um, and then, in three short years, Jesus comes onto the scene, and everything begins to change. But he doesn't come the way they expect. The kingdom's not coming the way they expected it to come. Jesus says it will come eventually. It will come with power eventually. It will come wiping out enemies and securing peace on earth once and for all. They expected the kingdom of Israel, the, the Messiah, to come and enact that immediately now. But Jesus says that's not how the kingdom of God is. It's not coming now and instantly in the way that you think. Like a mustard seed. It will develop slowly. It will develop steadily. And something that's the smallest and overlooked, then that becomes the biggest of all your garden plants, he says. So much so that the birds of the air are able to come and nest and make its home within this. Um, <clears throat> this is Jesus clearly making allusion to a parable from the Old Testament in Ezekiel 17. Um, Ezekiel says this, uh, On the mountain high of Israel will I plant it. This is he speaking um, on behalf of God. He says, um, that I that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. So in Ezekiel, it's not just a mustard plant. It's not a, a big bush or a small tree. This is a, a, a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. And all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I bring low the high tree and make the high the low tree. Dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it. Um, so the Lord is, is, is speaking. And this is Jesus, again, referring, alluding back to this idea again. Um, in this parable, the birds that are coming to nest in Ezekiel represent every tribe, every nation, every tongue, finding its home and their rest in the kingdom of God. And that's how the kingdom will be. But Jesus is, is pointing out to them, it's not 
how it starts. Cedars don't start these mighty cedars. They start as small seeds. It starts with a, something even as small and insignificant as a mustard seed in their eyes. It's often overlooked. And this context is really Jesus coming himself. Jesus is bringing the kingdom. Uh, it, it, where Jesus is, the kingdom of God is. He inaugurates the kingdom. He comes bringing the kingdom, announcing the kingdom. And yet, how did they respond? How did they respond to Jesus? We know they rejected him, don't they? They, they despised him. But this is exactly what the prophet Isaiah said would happen. Isaiah 53, 1 to 3. He says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of a dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one who men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. This is the prophet Isaiah speaking of the Messiah, speaking of Jesus. He comes, but we reject him. We despised him. We didn't esteem him at all. Jesus, in a sense, is the kingdom seed. Um, he speaks of himself in John 12, 24. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it, bear much fruit. it bears much fruit. Jesus' rejection, his, he's, he's crucified, he's murdered, he's buried, he's dead. How could this be the Messiah? How is this the promised one of God coming to rescue his people, to set up his rule and reign on earth? How unlikely did it seem that a seed would rise from the ground to become the global church that we see today? Jesus is mocked, he's beaten, he's tortured, he's, uh, he's eventually killed with precise, exact political expedience. The Roman government, um, it was just expedient for them to take care of Jesus. He was a threat to the peace. There was unrest with the, the Jewish community. They just wanted everything to kind of be calm and go back to the way it was. And so they took him out. From the Jews or the Pharisees' perspectives, they got rid of this troublemaker, this kind of prophet who was come and stirring up the people. They just wanted him out of the way. This wasn't certainly who they wanted as their king. This uh, homeless, uh, traveling with a band of uneducated um, fishermen, tax collectors, hanging out with sinners, inviting the marginalized in uh, to eat with him, this is not who they were going to have as their king. And they got rid of him. And even from Satan's point of view, imagine the Son of God comes to save his people and he can't even save himself. In that moment, this darkest day of our history, darkness covers the earth but it covers the earth just like dirt covers a seed. It's, you think it's, it's gone, it's dead, but unless that seed dies and goes into the ground, that seed carrying all the DNA of the tree or the plant to bear all the fruit that it is meant to bear never actually comes to fruition. And the same with Jesus. Um, he goes into the ground, the seed of the kingdom, um, who would spring forth into light, bearing exponentially more fruit um, than, it, than, he, than it was as even a tiny seed. And so no one has seen Jesus the right way. Um, all throughout his ministry, he's traveling to towns. Crowds will come, but then they kind of dissipate. Um, and eventually, as he's nearing Jerusalem, the climax of his earthly ministry before his crucifixion, 
Um, his enemies are growing. No one is actually seeing Jesus as the king. No one is seeing him as the Messiah. Very few people. And so the question for us is as well, how do, how do you see Jesus? I'd ask you that this morning. Has Jesus's message become kind of commonplace? Same old, same old. Even in a place like Northern Ireland, we've got gospel halls and gospel meetings and, and gospel missions and gospel this and gospel that. I wonder, has the message of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, the gospel, the message of his kingdom, has it gotten kind of stale or boring to you? Has it become unimpressive? Have we become maybe a bit indifferent to that? But Jesus is, is warning and encouraging us to not underestimate him. Do not underestimate the kingdom of God. There's no hope without Jesus. He is the only way into the kingdom of God. Jesus says he is the way. He is, he is the gate. No one comes unto the Father. No one gains eternal life except through him. I wonder what our perception of the kingdom of God is even. My guess is most of us listening to this message this morning um, would say we, we trust in Jesus, but maybe you're discouraged by the kingdom. 2,000 years on, that seed has grown a lot, hasn't it? Um, but there are times where it still might seem unimpressive. The church, God's people, the kingdom is still opposed. It's culturally opposed. It still feels like at times it's comparatively small. But Jesus says, don't be discouraged this morning. Don't be discouraged. Sue and I were out for a walk in our neighborhood and ran into one of her, her friends, I think, uh, from, from work or something like that, who's, a, who's also a believer. And, you know, we were asking, how are you doing in the midst of this? How are you doing and that and this and that? And she says, she said, uh, she's like, man, I just get a sense from other Christians that they're a bit disappointed um, at the minute, that we really thought that this opportunity of kind of uh, a global pandemic, that God was going to move, that God was going to reveal himself, that God was going to do, I don't know what the expectations were, but uh, she says, I feel like everybody's a bit discouraged or let down that, that whatever this thing was hasn't happened yet. Sometimes we can um, have certain expectations for God's kingdom to be a certain way. And this is exactly what Jesus is addressing. Their expectations for God to come in a certain kind of way, for God to act in a certain uh, kind of way, for him to, to meet their expectations at a certain point of history. And Jesus comes and he's not doing any of those things. How discouraging may it have been if we didn't understand what God might have been up to. And I just wonder if this kind of quarantine, this kind of lockdown, isn't a quiet, dormant time for us, maybe even for the church. We certainly can't be about the activities. We can't seem to be the people of God in the world. We're all stuck in our houses like everybody else. But Jesus wants to encourage us, I think, this morning that those things don't matter in the end. The kingdom of God is still advancing. He says so much so that the gates of hell won't even prevail against it. Maybe all you can do is consistently love your neighbor at the moment. We're kind of limited to who we can be around, right? Maybe all we can do is pray. And sometimes we might feel like that's not very much. All I can do is love my neighbor next door. All I can do is pray. And yet look throughout history, how much loving one's neighbor, serving those that are around us. Um, we'll talk about that when we get to that parable as well. Um, being persistent in prayer, which we'll also look at how effective those have been. Maybe not in the immediate, um, but certainly in the grand scheme of things. And this is Jesus's point, isn't it? Um, these are, and this is exactly 
the way the crowd saw Jesus. They see Jesus, he's going about his ministry. Okay, he's healing some people. Wow, that's that's impressive. And and um, it, he draws large crowds because of that at times. And yet, that doesn't ever seem to manifest itself into when are you going to establish the kingdom, Jesus? When are you going to overthrow Rome? So much so as he enters into Jerusalem, um, there's a, a certain part of the crowd that's Hosanna, Hosanna to the king, Right. They think this is it. We're going to, we're going to, this is showtime. We're going to inaugurate Jesus. He's going to be on the throne. He, this is the coming Messiah. And a few days later, they're choosing Barabbas over Jesus to go free. And Jesus is executed on the cross. With all of his miracles, it, he still never met up to their expectations of what the Messiah should be. They thought the kingdom would advance with fireworks and displays of power and immediate, excuse me, immediate, dramatic results. And Jesus says, no, the kingdom of God is like a small seed. It's not an army of chariots and, and swords and, and displays of might. It's as simple. It's as common. It's as overlooked as a mustard seed. But that mustard seed goes into the ground and does its job. It does its work. And the end of that is exponential growth, one that actually provides a home um, for the birds of the air. Paul says the same thing, doesn't he? In First Corinthians, if you remember from our, our uh, <coughs> excuse me, if you remember from our series in First Corinthians, chapter one, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God often chooses the low and what is despised by the world, what is mocked, what is overlooked, what is common. And he uses that to change the world. Even his disciples, right? The, the, the Pharisees are like, these guys? These guys are like unlearned fishermen. They have no education. They, these guys are, are just blue collar, normal workers. And yet, Acts says that they turn the world, the, 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 I, the perception was that they are turning the world upside down. I don't know if they were turning the world upside down as much as they were turning it right side up again, bringing the world back into the way um, that, that God intended it to be fully, overturning um, the world's man-made systems to the way that they are supposed to be. And so appearances are deceiving. We're to judge the value, if you're a believer today, judge the value of your labor in Christ by his promises that he will fulfill, and by your faithfulness. We are responsible for faithfulness to God. God is responsible for the fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of Lucas. It's the fruit of the Spirit. I am a, a, a branch attached to the vine of Christ, and through his power, through his Spirit, he produces through, fruit through us, through his people. So we have to value, the, we have to value our labor for Christ by his promises and by our faithfulness first, and trust that the fruit will come in the right time. Um, but even as a seed is planted, you don't get fruit right away. It takes time to mature, to grow, and God is accomplishing his purpose and his plans unseen to us. We also then have, we have this kind of uh, unexpected advancement. The way the kingdom comes is, 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 a, is an un, unexpected kind of way, but it's also the unseen power of the kingdom. The power of the kingdom isn't often seen immediately. What they wanted to see was these power displays. 
And he uses this uh, parable in, th- in verse 33. He told them a parable that the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in, a, in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Three measures of flour um, with just a little bit of leaven. Leaven is often used in the, in the scripture. Uh, in some ways it's used negatively. Paul uses leaven talking about sin or evil. Uh, within the church, and just a little bit of that can work its way in and affect the whole church, and, and that we're to, to remove that as we can. Um, but here Jesus uses it in a positive way. He's using it to speak about the kingdom. Notice the woman takes three measures. Um, these are similar, similar, similar parables. A lot of scholars think that, that Jesus is, is appealing to both men and women, both genders here. Uh, a farmer, the probably the most common um, male um, uh, Occupation at that time, and then a woman baking um, at, at that time obviously would have been more of a, a woman's job at that time in that society. So Jesus is, is appealing to both uh, that are here, but but notice how much uh, she has three measures um, of flour. So in today's terms, that's about 22 liters of flour. That's a lot of flour. Um, you're talking maybe like 30, 35 pounds um, worth of flour. So it's it's a massive amount of, of flour. This isn't just baking bread for, for one person. This probably would have fed 100, 100 people or more. Um, and the idea is that it's just a little bit of lump of leaven affects the whole thing. Um, I don't know about you, but during um, quarantine, uh, I jumped on the uh, sourdough bandwagon. And so uh, Thomas uh, was kind to give me a little bit of his starter. And um, if, if you've been baking sourdough, if you know anything about it, um, how, how you begin with that is uh, you just mix flour and water and then let it set out because we're surrounded by kind of natural uh, bacteria, not natural kind of yeast. Um, and I thought I found that fascinating. That's how you actually start. And that you just leave it exposed and this invisible bacteria, this invisible yeast essentially that is all around us makes its way into that dough, uh, into that into that flour and water mixture. And then you can take some of that once it's starting to active and ferment and uh, do its job, that it's converting sugars and all that, all those sorts of things, then you just take a little bit of that. And then you can add just more water and you can add more flour to that and, and you can um, wait and then that will impact the rest of that. You don't have to continue on. And, and just a little bit of starter, if you, if you, as long as you don't use it all, you can just keep a little bit of that and you can continually keep adding that to the rest of these mixtures. And this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. Jesus was way ahead. Jesus was more uh, knew more about sourdough um, back then than, than, than we do. He was way ahead of the curve. Just a small amount of yeast, just a small amount of leaven, he says, impacts the whole thing. You can have 22 liters of flour, and the amount that you have to add, the amount of yeast that you have to add of that is wildly, disproportionately small. Disproportionately small. And you can't see it. It, it. It's doing its power. It's it's activating. It's doing its job in ways that are hard to see. Sometimes being a follower of Jesus feels like, um, you know, we are part of the kingdom of God armed with squirt guns. And we're, you know, the world is out there, culture's out there, and we're, they're armed with machine guns and missiles. We feel like, man, we're so insignificant. We're powerless in many ways. What can we do against government policy? What can we do against just the tide of cultural forces? 
that seem to be so antithetical to the kingdom of God. But remind ourselves that the scripture tells us that our fight is not with flesh and blood. It's not with the normal weapons of warfare. We are fighting a spiritual battle. The kingdom of God isn't just the church. The kingdom of God is, includes the true church of Jesus for sure, but it's bigger than that. It's wherever God's rule and his reign and his purposes are being unfolded. Jesus says the kingdom is like yeast. It's potent. It's, ex- it's, a, it's explosive work, but it's often done in unseen, unanticipated ways in the dark. Um, when I uh, when I first got my starter, I put it in this jar that I could kind of seal, and um, you know I kind of marked where it was so that I knew how much it had, had risen, and and uh, I left it too long, and uh, when I came back, it, it it was like creeping out of the the lid. Now this is a sealed lid, and yet it was still powerful enough, the pressure enough to work its way out past the seal. <clears throat> and Jesus says, "Excuse me, this is exactly what the kingdom of God is like." It's potent, it's powerful, but in very unassuming, uh, unexpected kind of ways. We cling to the promises of Jesus, that God is sovereign, that God's ways are above our ways, that he is working powerfully in ways that we often don't understand and ways that we can't see. We are to trust in him. We are to abide with him, trusting in his promises, trusting that his ways are good, um, like like the, uh, a branch attached to the vine, being nourished by him, empowered by his spirit, trusting that we will bear fruit, that he will bear fruit through us. But often, if we're honest, our response to the kingdom, in many ways, is similar in nature to the time of Jesus and their response. These parables are directed at doubt arising from Jesus's perceived failure to purge Israel and then create a pure community. Why aren't you exacting justice, Jesus? Why aren't you overthrowing our oppressors, Jesus? Why aren't you establishing this kingdom now? Do you not see all the brokenness of of the world around us? Do you not see our, our, our oppressors with their boot in our neck? This is meant to be our promised land. Where are you coming to establish that and overthrow our enemies? And in some ways, that's a very reasonable question, isn't it? A very reasonable question. It's the same questions that we ask today. Why, if Jesus is Lord, why, if God is sovereign, if God is all-powerful, if God is all-good, why do we see so much evil and injustice still in the world today? Why, in supposedly Christian nations like the United States, is there still systemic injustice and racial, um, uh, racial injustice in the world today? Just the events of this week. Um, Major cities in the U.S. um, rioting and and protests um, because people are just absolutely fed up with, yet again, um, another black man dying at the hands of law enforcement officers, usually white law enforcement officers. There's something systemically broken that's going on. We don't have to look even as far as America. We just look outside to our own society that we live in here in Ireland. Which again, with all of our Christian history, with a church building, at least on every single corner, it seems like, why have we still not figured out how to get over sectarianism here? Why, if the kingdom of God is at hand, is there so much brokenness and injustice in the world? 
God is working in ways that we can't see, that we can't fully understand to accomplish his purposes. And let's be honest, if Jesus had met their expectations, if Jesus had come, had overthrown all evil in the world, had established his kingdom, his rule and his reign, then if he had judged all injustice in the world, then you and I wouldn't be a part of that kingdom of God. You and I would have never had the chance 2,000 years later to know and hear the good news of Jesus, to turn from our ways, to turn to his and be a part, be counted, be grafted in to the family of God. Do you remember the parable? Every nation, every tongue, represented by every kind of bird nesting in this, in this branch, in the branches, in this tree, this lofty, mighty cedar representing the kingdom of God. God's timing is not the same as our timing. God is patient and he is merciful. Let's look uh, to the parable that we started off with to give us more insight into this in verse 24. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven must be compared, um, may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat among, uh, along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Here we have this parable of the weeds and the wheat growing together. And the wheat uh, and the weeds that are growing together at that time, they were able to grow together until a point. Um, the, the word that's used here is darnel. This is this is, uh, we know from kind of ancient agriculture, it was a weed, but it was a weed that looked a lot like wheat um, until a certain kind of point. So at the beginning stages of everything is growing, it looks like you're just growing wheat. And then at some point you start to realize, no, this actually isn't wheat, this is darnel. But at that point, the root system is so intertwined to pull up the weeds, uh, you, you potentially would destroy your crop as well. You can't tell if it's wheat or a weed until it's until later on in, in the lifespan. And so the master says, no, let them grow together. And this is exactly what the kingdom of God is like. He goes on um, at the end. If you go to verse 36, um, he explains his after he's done telling these parables in public, he withdraws with his disciples into a house and they ask him specifically about this to explain this parable. And so Jesus doesn't explain many of his parables. Uh, if he does, it's usually in private to his his disciples, but he, he explains um, the parable to them that, that Satan is his enemy. Um, the kingdom, obviously, the field is the world and, and Satan has sown um, weeds in with the wheat. The wheat are those that are a part of the kingdom of God, um, the sons of God, the sons and daughters of God. And the weeds represent um, the evil ones in the world. And so the kingdom of God exists with both in the world until the right time. And that time is the harvest 
harvests this picture that's used throughout scripture of the day of judgment, a time um, when our modern uh, history as we know it comes to an end, where there is a separation of the weeds and the wheat. Or if you remember a couple weeks ago, uh, it was a parable of a dragnet and, and this dragnet collects all the fish. Some of the fish aren't, aren't, aren't good for eating. They're not, they're not profitable. They're discarded and other ones are brought in. Uh, Jesus uses a metaphor of, of sheep and goats. Um, and if you go to the Middle East, you'll, you'll notice that ghosts and goats and sheep aren't like our goats and sheep here. They look a lot more similar. Um, from afar off on a hill, you might not even be, t- be able to tell yet if they're sheep or goats. But eventually the shepherd knows his sheep and will separate them out from each other. God is merciful. His timing is not like ours. Ezekiel 33 says he takes no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. And so they should turn from their wicked ways, repent um, so that they wouldn't be destroyed or they wouldn't be judged in the end. Let me read 2 Peter 3 too. This is going to give us a lot of insight into this as well this morning. Um, He says, he's writing to them that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets. That's important. We'll come back to that. And the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing that, first of all, the scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? Where is the promise of this Jesus returning as you keep saying he's going to come? He says, forever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked the fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. He says, remember the flood. Jesus judged the world. Jesus took out all evil once before and he did it with a flood. But then he made a covenant that he wouldn't destroy the world by water again. Um, The judgment would come uh, when the son of man returned. He says that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Why hasn't Jesus enacted justice? Why hasn't he come and wiped out all evil on the earth? Part of that is because um, he would wipe us all out. If all of us got what we deserved, if we all, if Jesus enacted justice to everyone, we would all receive judgment, judgment. And yet his desire is to show us mercy and grace. And he does that by offering us the gift of his son, that if we'll repent and turn from our evil ways, look to the cross, receive eternal life from Jesus, that we can be counted among the wheat in the end and not be gathered up and bundled and destroyed like the weeds. The kingdom of God coexists with both good and evil for a time. Um, it's, it's, it's not as bad as it could be because God has common grace on all. The Bible tells us that the rain falls on both the evil and the good. And so God is restraining evil by his common grace. Um, but one day it will come to a place of judgment. Where, that, where those who have rejected Christ, we've rejected his offer of grace and mercy. Those, like in Jesus' time, would have chose to mock him, reject him, murder him, get rid of him. Those um, he will have vengeance upon. But he offers grace and mercy for every enemy to become a son. 
for every enemy to become a daughter. And this is the unifying message of all of the scriptures. Look at verse 34. And these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. That's a quotation from Psalm 78, uh, the first two verses of Psalm 78. Just as Peter had said, you should remember the predictions of the prophets. Jesus is coming. He's fulfilling these prophecies, not just in who he is, but even the way he goes about his ministry is fulfilling prophetic scripture. And so the encouragement again for us this morning, brothers and sisters, is that we are to look to the promises that have been fulfilled in Christ for our confidence that he will fulfill the promises that he hasn't fulfilled yet. Just because we live in this kingdom, this the kingdom is here, but it's not, it's not yet re- reached its full consummation. We live in this in-between of, of it being here and, and not yet, this in-between kind of time. The kingdom is here, it's present, it's advancing, but it's advancing um, like a, a mustard seed in the ground. It seems small and insignificant, but by the end, it will have exponential growth, enough for the nations of the world to come and find rest and make its home in. It, it seems ineffective. It seems powerless at times. And yet, like leaven, it is advancing throughout all of the dough, working its way effectually through all of that, accomplishing its purposes. We look around and see weeds and injustice and evil in the world, and we go, how long, O Lord? How long? Those that have been oppressed have been asking that question even since the scriptures were written. And Jesus reminds us that he is patient, that he is kind, that a day to the Lord is like a thousand years to us, and a thousand years is like a day to him. And so we are to be patient. We are to trust that he is good. When so many people are losing confidence in the Bible, even within churches, pastors losing confidence in in the scripture being sufficient, um, being authoritative, being inerrant. With so many losing confidence in that, and some for very understandable reasons. I understand that. Sometimes those that claim to be a part of the kingdom um, don't act justly. Um, And I made that distinction before. The kingdom does not equal all those that claim to be the church. Uh, You have the visible church, those that are claiming Christ, but we know that not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, is actually of of the true kingdom of God. So Jesus knows the invisible church, those that are truly a part of him. Um, But there's lots of people on the name of Christ, uh, under the banner of Christ, have, have acted in evil ways. And so I understand how sometimes people can lose confidence in that. But Jesus is here to remind us this morning, like the crowds leaving when it got too hard, When Jesus was doing miracles, when he was feeding people, loads of crowds. But then his teaching turns to their responsibility. And he's not actually doing what they want him to do. He's not overthrowing the government. They start to leave. The crowds leave. And he asks his disciples, are you going to leave me too? And do you remember from John 6, their, their answer is, where would we go? To whom would we go, Jesus? You have the words of eternal life. Christian, don't abandon hope in the kingdom of God. Jesus will fulfill his promises as he has already fulfilled uh, so many of them. But we are in this intermediate time 
of the kingdom as a seed growing, developing, leaven, doing its job, powerfully affecting things, unseen oftentimes. We look around and see so many weeds, but the wheat is still there. The wheat is still growing and it's up to Jesus to decide when is the right time. It's up to the father to decide when is the right time. When will he send his reapers, which Jesus says are, are the angels, the super supernatural forces to come. And there will be a day where justice will be enacted. There will be a day um, where all those who haven't uh, turned to the mercy and grace of Jesus will receive exactly what they want. Separation from God. And so for the Christian this morning, be encouraged. Don't abandon hope. Maybe even in a time like this where things are quieter, we can't gather. Man, it, 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 it seems like the church has been so weakened, doesn't it? We can't gather. We can't be out serving the community in, in the ways that we might have been. You're not able to see colleagues or, or co-workers to, to share your faith experience. It feels like we've been kind of muted. And yet, so many good things are coming through this. Be patient. The Lord is doing his work quietly. <laughs> Maybe for those of you that are listening this morning and you haven't given your life to Jesus, there's an encouragement in these parables, but there's also a warning with them as well. Judgment hasn't happened in that way yet, but it will. Um, Jesus is patient and they're, they're, the harvest hasn't come yet. And so the weeds are free to grow, but there will come a time. There will come a time. And Peter says it'll come like a thief unexpectedly when you don't expect it to happen. It will come. And if we're still among the weeds and not among the wheat, um, we receive the judgment of God and not the mercy and grace. So he's being patient. This is an invitation to you this morning to respond to his goodness and his grace. Would you be counted among the kingdom of God, the citizens of the kingdom of God? You can do that very easily. It's, you don't actually have to do anything to work for that. Jesus has done all the work for you. It's just receiving him. It's turning from our way apart from God and, and following Jesus, being a, a follower and practitioner of the way of Christ. Um, we'd love to talk to you more about that um, as well if you have more questions about that. But be encouraged, but heed that warning as well. The kingdom of God is advancing in ways that we can't see, in ways that are unexpected. He's, he's advancing it in your life, uh, even when you, you can't always see it. We have these desert experiences. Even Jesus is led out into the desert, tempted by the evil one. And if the master goes through that, if the teacher goes through that, then so will we as the students. But be faithful. Cling to his promises. Know that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's like leaven. It's like a field with both wheat and weeds. And in the end, the Lord will have his final say. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your word to us. And Father, we confess that we, we do get discouraged. We are so reliant on what we can see. And yet we're told over and over again that the Christian life isn't all just what we can see. Um, our, our battles aren't just with flesh and blood. There's a supernatural realm. There's a spiritual realm that is at play that we don't see, that we can't fully understand. And so, Father, we trust you. Um, who knows and sees and understands all, who is outside and is not 
uh, constrained by time and space the way that we are. And Father, you are infinite and we are finite. You are the creator and we are the creatures. And so, Father, encourage us again uh, by your word this morning. I pray that your spirit would uh, make it come alive in our hearts, that we would know these things to be true, that we would look to the past evidences of your promises fulfilled and the way that this is all um, Jesus's ministry um, has all been fulfilling what your promised uh, your promises to us were through the prophets, and that those future promises will be fulfilled um, as well. Father, I pray for those that, that don't know you that today would be the day that, that they would that you would open their eyes, that they would be a part of the kingdom of God, that that your invitation is for all. Um, that in the end there will be representatives from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every skin color all around your throne, worshiping you because you deserve the worship and praise of all people. Father, I pray that we would uh, work um, hard as your people um, in the kingdom now. Um, certainly, the, pray that we, the, pray, the prayer of Jesus that we often pray is that it would be on earth as it is in heaven, that we would seek justice, that we would work towards um, uh, these issues of justice while we have um, our time here on earth um, because it is what the kingdom of God will be like. And yet, Father, we know that you will have the ultimate say. You will have the ultimate timing. And so I pray, Father, that you would encourage us once again, even as we gather um, around bread and wine, these elements that remind us of what, uh, why these promises will come true because as you're blood shed for us, your body broken for us, the evidence um, that you are powerful enough to overcome death, that we proclaim your death, your resurrection, that you've ascended to the Father, you're seated at the right hand of the Father, even now interceding for us. So Father, encourage us, feed us uh, again um, by, your, by yourself and by your own body. We ask this in your name. Amen.